This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Man, it's good to see so many of you here today. I just got to look at you for a second. Man, you are a good-looking group. And it is fun to spend some time with you worshiping and exploring what it looks like to partner with God on this journey of life. I want to welcome you. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you after service. So if you would just mosey your way out the doors, plod your way through the doors, take a slow saunter through the doors, I will do my best to run around the building and not so much trap you as invite you into a conversation. So I would just love to hear your story. What brought you here? How you're experiencing today with us? Just kind of hear a little bit about your journey. So I just love to connect with you. Uh, hey, a couple of things will get us all on the same page because we believe that whether it's your first time at New Life or you've been coming for the almost 20 years since our church came into existence, that we all start this journey at the same place together each week. There is no in and out, us and you. There is us on a journey together. And so we give you guys a few things to get us on the same page because we're all on the same team. The first is this card that says start here. This is your all-access pass to New Life, so go ahead and get this filled out. It's how we can pray for you, how we can partner with you, how we can serve you, how we can get you plugged into the things we're doing in the church, in the city, and around the world. And if I've earned your trust over the next 35 or 40 minutes, we're going to pass some baskets later. I'll just ask you to drop this card in the basket when it's passed. The other thing that will help you today are these teaching notes. And I know some of us are not note takers. Today would be a good day for you to make an exception to that rule. Because we're in the series called Let Us, where we are exploring work and rest. And I'll tell you all about why we're pressing into that in just a minute. But my theory behind this series is I'm doing two weeks talking about why and one week talking about how for each of these. So two weeks talking about why work and one week talking about the how of work. And then two weeks talking about why rest and one week talking about the how of rest. Here's my thought. I want to help us shift a paradigm, a thought process, a way of thinking, and it takes time to shift paradigms. So for these first two weeks, I'm just giving us a different way to think about work. And then today I'm going to give us some handles, some tools to help us start to explore what it would look like to experience the kind of work that God designed for us to experience. And so it's two why, one how. But the questions I'm going to ask today, you cannot answer in this space. It's going to necessitate that you actually have conversations with your housemates, with your spouse, maybe with your kids, with your friends. If you are a Jesus follower, you would have this conversation with God. But you're going to want to have these notes because the average listener only retains information for about 48 hours before it's gone. Now, I know that you are above average, which is why you chose to come to New Life. But that still probably only gives you 72 hours. So you might want to write it down. So we're in this series heading into the school year. Hey, our kids are going back to school next week. Yay. There's our elementary school parents right here who are cheering. Because like I said last week, about now it feels like the inmates are running the asylum. It's time to usher them back in to their place of learning. But we're going back to work, school. It's a new season for many of us. It's a new season for my Chicago Bears, who had a pretty good first game. Lost to the Broncos. That's okay. It was third string versus third string. I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned because our new quarterback we got, he was taking care of business, baby. So thank you, Niners, for that trade. I appreciate it don't write me mean letters. 
Niners fans, I don't want to hear it. I'm talking to my guest services intern right now who has been ribbing me all summer. That's neither here nor there. But I wanted to talk about work because right now, many of us are ramping up. And while we're ramping up to work, statistics show that we as a nation are extremely dissatisfied with work. Did you know that 70% of us would say we do not like the thing that we go to do for the majority of our lives? 70% are dissatisfied with our work. So we're talking about work because that should not be. But when we're not working, we are resting. And did you know that 70% of us are not getting enough sleep at night? So we're not going to focus specifically on sleep in the next half of this teaching series, but we are going to talk about sleep as a larger paradigm around rest, because work and rest are meant to live in a symbiotic relationship. And if we have either one of these out of whack, we will be dissatisfied with what we're doing. So I thought it's good to talk about work. It's good to talk about rest. It's good to explore why we do the thing that we spend our lives doing. And we decided to start in the very beginning. If you're brand new with us, if you missed the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Genesis, the first two chapters. It's a story of origins, how the world came into being. We've been looking at who God is and then looking at why God created us the way that God created us. And so I want to do a quick recap on that before I lead into where we're going, because we're going to press further into the Bible today. We're going to move out of the book of Genesis into another area. But this is how we first see God and people interacting. It's from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make mankind in our own image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created us, mankind, in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And we looked week one at the fact that that phrase image is the phrase statue or picture. And it means this. It means that when people look at us, the goal would be that they would see a visible representation of the invisible God. That in Egypt, in the ancient world, and the author of this particular letter was writing to a group of people who had come out of Egypt. In Egypt, there were 1,200 lowercase g gods and goddesses. Each had their own image so that when people went to worship that god or that goddess, they could look at the image of that god or goddess to see what that god or goddess was like. And we explored the reality that God is not bound to one church or one spot, but God rules over the whole earth. And God did not give us a statue to look at, but he gave the world us, Jesus followers, So that when we are living the way we are designed, we are actually giving a visible picture to what the invisible God is really like. And right after God tells us that we're made in his image, God goes on to give us work or a vocation. And the reason why God did that is because we spend the majority of our time working. And it would make sense that if God wants to express himself through people, that he would give us some guidelines about what it looks like to work. So God goes on to say, I want you to to work the earth, which is the idea of cultivate it, develop it, create it, bring something out of nothing, bring order out of chaos, bring beauty out of destruction. That our vocation, our calling, our work is about looking for the spots where we can create beauty in the places that we go each day. The the word for work that that God uses is the word abad, which can also be translated worship. Over 50 times in the Old Testament, 
we're see, we're used, that word is used for worship. Here's what it means. When we are working right, we are actually worshiping God with our work. So the question we've been asking is, how can we honor God with our abad? That's the question. Honor God. Thank you, Maria. Honor God with your abad. Come on. You got to work it. You got to work it if you're going to honor God with your abad. This is why she never sits up front. That's my wife. You'll meet her later. I love the way that novelist Frederick Buckner puts it. He says that work, true work, is the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. True work is the place where our deep gladness, that sense that I was made for this, meets the world's deepest hunger. Did you know that there are 7 billion people in the world? 7 billion people. And I was reading this book as I was preparing for this teaching series called Garden City, and it got me thinking about something. Even though there are 7 billion people in the world, did you know that God created enough space in this world for each one of those 7 billion people to have the kind of work where our deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger? I was sitting in a coffee shop as I was writing this message over on 2nd Street. I love this coffee shop. And I was thinking about coffee. I was drinking a cup of fair trade Sumatra coffee. And I thought, boy, in order for me to get this delicious cup of fair trade Sumatra coffee, a barista had to brew the coffee. And someone else had to, had to roast the coffee. They have a roaster right there on site. Someone else had to make the table that I was sitting on, sitting at. I only sit on tables at church. The chair I was sitting on, Someone else had to create the sofas. Someone had to start the coffee shop in order for me to sit at the coffee shop. Someone had to finance the coffee shop in order for someone to start the coffee shop. That doesn't mention the coffee itself. The coffee came from a little spot in Indonesia, and someone had to travel from the United States to Indonesia to form a relationship with a farmer to strike up a deal to get the beans to the Oakland port where they could be roasted and they could be brewed. But that never would have happened if there weren't people in education and politics and pop culture who are raising awareness about the fact that the majority of our coffee comes from slavery practices around the world. And so someone had to raise awareness about slavery and the coffee industry for me to get a cup of fair trade Sumatra coffee. And educators had to go out and tell the generations it's good for us to buy fair trade. And then someone else had to, had to package the coffee put it on a boat, ship it to the Oakland Harbor, where it was unloaded, where it was brought over, where it was roasted, just so that I could get a cup of fair trade Sumatra coffee. Get this, for $1. You're wondering, where is this magical place? I'm not going to tell you. Because while I love you, I do not love you that much. See, this is the idea of vocation, that in this big, vast world of 7 billion people, God has given each of us space to find the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. The place where we can leverage who we were created to be to shine the image of the invisible God into into the world. Now, vocation 
is a Latin word, and the root word of vocation is the word voice, which is really interesting because vocation is all about finding your voice in the thing that you do. When we think vocation, we think work. We think, what do I need to do to get what I need to get to make the living that I want to live? But at its core, vocation is actually about asking some big questions about finding our voice. I like the way that the Quakers put it. The Quakers, uh, they make delicious oatmeal, and, and they know something about life. The mustache, I love it. The beard is coming back in the fall. For those of you who have been worried about it, it's coming back. Don't worry. I'm going to channel me some inner Quaker. But the Quaker said this. The Quaker, my poor wife. The Quaker said, let your life speak. Let your life speak. And that is all about vocation. Did you know that the average adult worker changes jobs 10 to 15 times over the course of their life? 10 to 15 times. Now, there are a number of factors for this, but at least one of those factors is that I believe we do not zoom out and ask big questions about our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger. We don't ask the question, what was I made to do? What was I designed to do? In a world of 7 billion people, what's my unique spot in this big, creative, beautiful process? And right now, some of you are thinking, hey, people around the world don't have the opportunity to ask that question. They're just trying to make $2 a day to survive. And you're right. But we do have the opportunity to ask that question. And don't we owe it to the people who don't to ask that question? And could it be that in asking that question, God changes the direction of your life and you do something for the very people that you're concerned about right now because that's part of the way God wired you to love them? So we're going to ask some big questions today. Questions about what it looks like to worship God with our vocation. Questions about unearthing vocation inside of us. And they're dangerous questions. But they're questions designed to excavate what is already in here. As we do that, I want to look at a a passage in the Bible that speaks to this reality. It's in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to warn you right now, I've taught on this passage a couple times, but I only did it through my pastor lens. You might not know this, but I actually have a pastor lens with which I see things and with which I read the Bible. Did you know that we all have a lens with which we see things, the way we read the Bible, the way we understand people? And I'm working hard to not always only see things through my lens, but through the lens of our gathering. So I have taught on this passage only exclusively in the context of doing service in the church, that God designed us to serve in the church, which I believe, by the way, he did. But this passage does not exclusively speak to that, which is a good thing. Here's why. At, at the most, and I think serving in the church is a good thing, but at the most, you might spend three hours a week serving in the church. It's a good thing. I think we should all do it. I think God is raising up an army of people to serve and love in this place, in this city, and around the world through the local church. But we spend... On average, each week, 119 hours awake. 119 hours awake, three hours serving in the church. So it would be a good thing 
if God was actually speaking well beyond our church work into a deeper reality. And this is what the passage says in Ephesians. And I'm going to start from verse 1 and go all the way down. We're going to catch what I want to talk about at the end, but you have to understand the whole context for it. He says, as for you, talking to us, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I'll talk about that in a second. The spirit who is at work now in those who are disobedient. That's the ruler of the air. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What the author is doing is telling a picture of who we were when we did not know God. He says each of us has this thing inside of us that we call sin. Sin are the things that we think and say and do that are hurting us hurting others, and separating us, if you believe there is a God, from a good and perfect God. And I don't have to tell you what sin is because you've laid in bed before at night and thought, I never want to think that again. I never want to say that again or do that again. never want to drink it again or smoke it again or talk about it again or look at it again or click there again. That's sin. You know what sin is. So what do we do? We say, I'm never going to do that again. The problem is, a week later, a month later, a year later, you're looking at it, drinking it, smoking it, talking about it, clicking on it. You think, what's wrong with me? Well, that's because there is this nature inside of us that pulls us away from the life that God desires for us, pulls us away from our life with God. Ultimately, that is our sin nature. And before Jesus did the amazing work that Jesus did, that we celebrate each work at communion, when Jesus left heaven and came to earth to partner with us in life, to forgive us of our sins and bring us back to God, we were doomed to live here forever. Praise God that God came down out of his great love and he redeemed us, restored us, forgave us, brought us back into relationship. That he actually gives us his spirit. We're going to hear about that. And his spirit is more powerful than that sin nature that pulls us away from God. His spirit pulls us towards him. I love what verse 4 says. Because of God's great love, God who is rich in mercy, when we were dead, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And then he says this phrase, it is by grace. And that word grace means unmerited favor or undeserved favor. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms of Jesus Christ in order that in the coming age he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But right after he says, not by actions so that no one can boast, he goes on to say this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And this is where I would always say, look at God designed you to serve in the church. But I'm learning more and more about life, that our good works are not limited to what we do here, that God actually designed us to be image bearers everywhere we go, including the places that we work. So God made us alive. Because of his grace, this undeserved favor that happens at the moment when we turn our lives over to Jesus, but God's grace does not end there. His undeserved favor goes with us, and God shows his favor to us by implanting in us good works that we long to do by planting in us deep desires to find our spot in the seven billion, a place where our deep gladness can meet the world's deep hunger. That word handiwork, we are God's handiwork, is the word poema, 
which is where we get the English word poem. See, the good works God created you and I to do, it's all about finding our voice, finding that unique spot where you can write a poem worth talking about. See, God's grace to us is not just the moment we're saved, the moment of forgiveness. God's grace to us is that he designed us to live in a way that we're writing a beautiful story, not just to ourselves, not just to our immediate families, but to the world in rippling effects. And finding fulfilling work is all about unearthing the person that God had in mind when he created us. It's about zooming out and asking some big, big questions. Now, I want to give a warning, and I want to give a disclaimer. The warning is, this is going to feel dangerous to some of us because we have comfortable jobs. And some of us will find fulfillment in the thing we're currently doing, and others of us, the minute we start talking about this, will realize, oh my goodness, this is not where I should be. That's the warning. Here's the disclaimer. We're going to talk about excavation, not demolition. Here's the difference. Demolition is fast, and the goal of demolition is to break something down. Excavation is slow because the purpose of excavation is to unearth something that is already there. If you're like me, if you're a type A, I'm just going to jump on the next big thing. You're going to hear some of these questions. You're going to go home and talk, and you're going to write your letter of resignation tomorrow. (laughs) That is demolition. That falls in the category of an unwise choice. So don't do it. If you've never thought about these questions, tomorrow is not the day to resign. And please don't come to the church asking me for money in a month because you resign tomorrow. Poor choice. We're going to excavate, which is going to take some time. And it's okay. You've been in your job for a while with some of these feelings. It's okay to wait a little while longer while you explore with God some next steps. So here are some questions. These are the hows to help us unearth our vocation, our voice in work. First question is, what do I love? What do I love? Another way to say that would be, if money were not an issue, what would you do? If money wasn't an issue, what would you do? Another question is, what do I hate? What is that thing that I look out and I say, It should not be this way. The world should not be this way. That system should not be this way. I look out, my thing that I hate is this. I love our community. I love our community. I think it's the best place to live. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I look out, and in Roner Park, in Petaluma, in Pengrove, in Katati, there are 112,000 people. And I love our community. But did you know that roughly 97.5% of those 112,000 people do not know Jesus? And I look at our community and say, it should not be that way because God is so good. His favor is so beautiful. His work of healing is so great. And the work that God can do in our lives as we open ourselves up to him is a work of transformation in this world and in eternity. I look at that and say, it should not be that way. That drives me to create a gathering the way that we do. What do you, what do you hate? What is that thing that keeps you up at night or wakes you up in the morning? Another question is this. 
What do you find yourself thinking about, reading about, talking about? We're mostly drawn to things that light us up. Here's another question. What am I good at? Verse 10 says that we are God's poem created in Christ Jesus, that God created us good at certain things. Now, you might like other things, but you're good at certain things. So you've got to find the things that you like that you're good at. Here's an example. I like boy bands. Now you're watching. I, I mean, I do. I'm a product of the 90s. You should have seen me when I started coming to New Life at 21. I had bleach spiked hair. I had a tongue ring. I had my ears gauged. You could put pencils through them. I like boy bands. I grew up with a dream, starting with Zach Morris, moving to 90210, and then finally to NSYNC. I wanted to be in a boy band. One problem. Can't sing. Can't dance. Hair started falling out in my early 30s. That does not make for a good boy band member. Balding, who can't dance, who can't sing. I like boy bands. I really do. But I'm no good at it. You know what else I like? I like being in front of people. I like talking. I like thinking about things and trying to break it down into workable parts to try to communicate a theme or an idea. And you know what? In my humble but correct opinion, I'm pretty good at it. All right, you can clap. What do you like that you can clap anytime that you're good at? How about this question? This is a big one. What does the world need? Yes, we all know the world needs more boy bands, but what else does the world need? What does the world need? What is that unique spot where you meet the deep hunger of the world? It could be something big. I watched the the director and leader of the International Justice Mission speak. He said the world needs to help children get out of slavery, to help children get out of sex slavery. That's a big need. Absolutely. You know what else the world needs? Because, listen, that's not me. You know what else the world needs? The world needs a workplace where integrity rules. Right? That's one thing the world needs, and all of us can do that. What does the world need? It needs a place where forgiveness is the pervasive fragrance of an organization. I have a buddy who owns uh, a heating and air conditioning company, and their, their slogan is 100% right or 100% free. I think that's kind of brilliant. The world needs people who lead with integrity. And the final question is this. Can I make a living doing it? In an ideal world, the answer would be yes. But that's not always the ideal, is it? I still sing and dance at my house all the time. But I will never make a living being in a boy band. And as much as the world needs it, it's just not going to be my niche to fill. Can you make a living doing it? That's the real question. I love this thing. I'm passionate about it. I'm pretty good at it. Can I make a living doing it? If you can, do it. For some of us, we can't. We can't. So here's a question we have to ask. What are the pockets in my current job where I'm finding calling? And then how can I leverage what I'm currently doing to find places where I'm not getting paid to do the thing that I love, the thing that I sense God is calling me to? Uh, my friend Cindy is here right now, and I'm just, I'm just thinking about her. She has a job here, and she works for a rape, a rape crisis counseling center over here. Because that she knows, God has said, it should not be that way. 
I got my friend Shane and Karen over here. They have jobs. And you know what? About 15 years ago, 18 years ago, they started working with two and three-year-olds in our church. And they fell in love with it. Now, Shane did not go to become a preschool teacher. He loves his job. He loves what he does. But God has, God has wired him to raise up preschoolers because God loves preschoolers. My buddy Curtis just retired. He was in the fire department, did other things, teaching. Now he drives a portable shower for Redwood Gospel Mission. I love it because the world needs it. He doesn't have to make a living doing it. My sister-in-law, she went to work with refugees for a year. It wrecked her in the best possible way. And now she's home and she's working part-time as a barista so she can figure out how to create an environment where she can work and create something to produce release for refugees. Part-time barista so she can do this other thing that God has created her to do. I have another sister named Anna. She is a fashion designer. God created her to design fashion. Right now she works part-time as a buyer for a fashion consultant company so that on the side she can create her own line. So maybe you can't find a job, a, a, a vocation, a living doing it, but maybe you find pockets in your work, but your vocation is over here. The Apostle Paul, who was a prolific church planner, did this exact thing. Paul planted churches, but there was a season when he could not plant churches. He did not have the space and the time. So what did Paul do? He got an outside job so that in the evenings and at lunch, he could do the things that God was calling him to do. Maybe that's you. So these are the questions I think we should be asking. And I was sitting at the Global Leadership Summit, all ready to preach this sermon with the questions that we should be asking. And a gal got up on stage named Cheryl Sandberg. She's the COO for Facebook, Chief Operating Officer for Facebook. And she was asked, what kind of questions did you have to ask before going back into the workforce? And I had my questions. And by the way, I think they're the right questions to ask. But wouldn't you know, she had a whole separate set of questions to ask. As a wife and a mother, she was asking questions that I never even thought to ask. And one of the things that I value about our church is I value authenticity and vulnerability over polish. Now, if we can do both, I'm all for it. But if we have to sacrifice one for the other, I'll take authenticity and vulnerability over polish every day of the week. So I'm going to tell you, I scrapped the end of my sermon, and I'm going to invite someone on stage who has been asking the same questions that Cheryl Sandberg asked. It's a woman who goes to our church, who worked full-time, then got married to an extremely attractive man. Um, and, and continued to work full-time in this thing that she loved, and then had kids. And there was never a conversation about who would stop working full-time and who would continue working full-time. She stopped working full-time and started working part-time. She was working for uh, a national organization at a regional level where she was uh, overseeing conferences for people in Northern California, Nevada, and Hawaii, gathering hundreds of people together, bringing various organizations together. And then both kids started going to school full-time. And so she started asking this question, could there be something more? And now she's working on an executive team for a conference that's going to have over 15,000 people at it with 180 nonprofits, and the goal of this conference is to take these 15,000 people, mostly college students and college graduates, partner them up with 180 nonprofits to send them out in their vocation. And she's in charge of all of the nonprofits. 
But in order to get there, she had to ask some big questions. Questions that as a husband and a male, I never even thought to ask. So I asked her, would you be vulnerable enough to come up and share some of those questions with our community? So would you join me in welcoming up Maria Finkbeiner to the stage? I'm going to stand up here. Bad as you want to be. Hi. Good morning. All right. All right. Work it. Work it, girl. So just some questions I was thinking about that I think this is especially helpful for you if you're married or have kids at home right now. You as a a woman, you as a male. Husbands should be hearing these questions. Wives should have the freedom to ask these questions. Communities should be wrapping around people as they're asking these questions. Single parents should have the freedom to ask this question because in the church we have a community willing to partner on this journey. But some of the questions that I had were, in, in addition to these excellent questions that I've laid out for us, what other questions were you asking when you considered going back to work full-time? Um. A lot of questions, and this is truly vulnerable because I got these que- this set of questions from Kevin this morning. So, but I was like, I really have some probably good nuggets in there. Some of the questions I was asking as a mom and a wife and a pastor's wife and all of this with all the expectations of those roles um, was, first and foremost, can I do it all? Can I do it all? And secondarily, is that God, what God wants from me? When you say all, all. What is can all I do all of the jobs in all of those roles? So can I be a mom and go to the grocery store and take care of the scheduling for the kids and buy soccer cleats and figure out when to do that? Can I do all of that? Can I be a pastor's wife and support the women in our church and be a worship leader and do all of these other things? All of that. And then can I actually do the job, the full-time job that I was getting called to, which was to lead all the organizations to come to this great conference. So, And husbands, maybe you can uh, agree with this. When I thought about what I want to do for my full-time work, I never thought about any of those questions. Who's going to take care of the kids? And buy the How's soccer the house going to get clean? No, soccer forget kids. the house. I don't even know. We haven't talked about that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Who cleans the bathroom? When bre- is that going to happen? Who's going to make breakfast and lunch? All the who's going to drive the kids to school? When they have a dentist appointment, who's going to take work time off to take them to the dentist appointment? These are questions that I never asked. Guys, do we ask those questions? Not really. Now, no need to nudge. Okay, this is our conversation. We're just, let us sing. Don't put up the umbrella and have the water go to your spouse. Just soak it in, baby. Let that healing rain fall. All right, what were some of your biggest fears around saying yes to this job? I think coming out of that question, can I do it all, some of my biggest fears were, we don't have time, uh, but, but the big ones were, am I going to fail? How am I going to spin all of these plates and still maintain sanity and still feel like I can do this? And um, so... When you say fail, do you mean specifically at work, like only at work, or do you mean... No, everywhere. All the Fail as a mom. Roles. Fail as a mom, fail as a pastor's wife, fail as... How like about something... a wife wife? <laughs> <laughs> Something had to give, right? Um, and yeah. I don't know, I think... Something had to give, because yeah. you can't do it all. You I, can't take a full-time right. role and then add a full-time role on top of that. Correct. Which leads to my final question. What kind of things did you need from me? Because 
this conversation came up when Maria came to me and said, I've been invited to take this job. I cannot do it. I said, of course you can do it. You're, you're made for this. Like, you're going to be great at it. She said, no, I can't do it all. And I said, yes, you can. This job, the conference isn't for two and a half years. Of course you can do it all. She said, no, no, no. I can't do it all. And I sat there and I thought, what do you mean all? And then I bawled my eyes out. And then you cried. (laughs) (laughs) That's also true. (sighs) But in that, what I needed from you, you I needed him to sit there while I cried. And I also needed a, two things. I needed partnership and I needed provision from Kevin. So partnership and it, it looked different. It can look different for everybody. Partnership for us looked like, hey, let's take that laundry list that is clearly running all of the roles, all of the things you have to do, that laundry list that's running in your brain. Let's look at that together. What can I take off of your plate was the question Kevin asked. And I was like, well, bathrooms are the first thing. Yeah. She <laughs> gave me all the bad ones. No. We looked at it together. and We it was, did. We did. It was really freeing because I was like, you know what? God didn't actually call me to take it all and to live up to the expectation as, as a good wife. A good wife should do this. I had to rewrite all of those narratives. As a good wife, I'm actually called to partnership. Yeah. As a good Kevin. husband, I'm called to partnership. And it's okay if right now Kevin goes to the grocery store and it takes him two hours to get through the grocery yeah. store. Where for me, it's like, okay. It takes I, me a half hour, you yeah. know, but he's I went to learning. the grocery store. I, I think I told you this. I went to the grocery store, and um, no. I don't know if you're supposed to do this as a parent. I don't really know, but I hadn't been much. I didn't know where anything was, so I said to my kids, six and eight, crowded grocery store on Saturday morning, Maddie, go find the onions. Landon, go find the bell peppers. Maddie, go find the less. And my kids took off like Lord of the Flies, right? <laughs> oh, they're going crazy. Now, I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but I'm learning how to grocery shop as a 36-year-old. And... The truth is, God has grown in that, in this partnership and provision, God has grown my capacity, and I have to let go of control when he brings home the non-organic whatevers. But yeah. I'm letting go of that control. Yeah. We don't need organic bananas. I learned that last week. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Either way. Yeah. Pesticide the heck out of those bananas. <laughs> we want the big ones. This is the hardest job, by the way, in case you're wondering. Yeah. Give me those 16,000 people. I got it. But in that, in that provision and partnership, I found the capacity of my kids growing. Like, my kids actually cleaned the bathroom last week. What? You know? Like, who even knew that they could do that stuff? Yeah. You know? They're learning different skills that they wouldn't have learned yeah. had I still been the, yeah. the only mom. Yeah, the only parent. Let's, yeah. So here's the, thing I, here's the thing I realized. And this is completely vulnerable, completely honest. I realized that I was a producer at work and a consumer at home. I can tell you how many times I did laundry in the first 10 years of marriage because it's easy to count to zero. <laughs> now, I folded laundry, but I did not do laundry. I can tell you the amount of meals I know how to cook because it's easy to count to three. <laughs> so we start splitting this stuff up, and I realize I'm th- oh my gosh, I'm 36, 35 at the time, 36 now. I, I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to do laundry. I don't know how to grocery shop. I was a consumer in my home. And here's the thing, husbands, 
We were not designed to be producers at work and consumers at home. We were designed to be producers wherever we go and partners with God and our spouse. Can I get an amen on that? So you know what I had to do? I had to take my, um, I had to take my iPad and sit down with Maria as she cooked meals and say, okay, what number do you have the burner to, to cook that chicken? Uh, laugh it up. Yeah, laugh it up. She's like, it's on number five. And I'm like, is that where it's going to stay? She's like, no, it's going to turn to three in 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, hey, when do you flip the chicken over? Is it, do you flip it over the same when it's in the big chunk as when it's cut up into the little pieces? These are all the questions I had. Listen, you don't know what you don't know. So it took me having to say, I don't know, help. Now I have about eight recipes. So when it's time for me to cook, and I cook dinner three or four days a week now. Yeah. The same meals. You come over and then, then decide then clap. to clap. No, it's good. <laughs> it's good. No, he's great. He's great. <laughs> I don't get a chance to bust you up. Come That's on true. now. That's true. She's getting back at me for that work it thing. Um, but I, I, I have to follow my iPad directions now. So how to do it. Grocery shopping takes me forever, but you know what? I have to, this is what partnership looks like because it's not okay. It's not okay. Now listen, your calling from God could be to be a stay-at-home father or a stay-at-home mother or a part-time worker and a full-time parent. That might be. That was not Maria's calling from God. And hers is not wrong and yours is not right or vice versa. But I'm talking to those of you who are sitting there right now thinking, I have a dream. I don't know how I'm going to do it because I can't be a full-time this and a full-time that. Here's the thing. You weren't designed to. You weren't. Take advantage of your community. Take advantage of your partnership with your spouse because this is the only way we can do it, right? And I just want to say to you, I've said it before, but I'm really proud of you really proud of you. And I'm really sorry that I spent 10 years as a consumer at home. I'm happier now than I've ever been because I get to produce a little bit at my house. Happier than I've ever been. I'm extremely proud of you. Our kids are happier than they've ever been. You're happier than you've ever been. It is a good partnership. So thank you. And thanks for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Work it. Back to my coffee shop. Uh, I was sitting there writing this message, and a gentleman came and said, can I sit next to you? I said, sure. His name's Bruce. He's 80 years old. He wanted to talk. So I said, what's going on, Bruce? He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And and usually when I say that, um, people pull back like I say, oh, I'm a child molester. Thanks for asking. (laughs) But Bruce didn't, which is good. Bruce was like, oh, interesting. Tell me more. So I was like, I'm not making this up. Okay, you know. So I have Tom about my job, what I do. and, And I said, what do you do, Bruce? He's like, well, I'm retired now. But I served on the world's largest cruise ship as the operations director for that, sailing around the world for the majority of my career. Well, Bruce, I like cruise ships, and I like you. (laughs) He said, and then I worked in San Francisco, and then I retired at 50, but from the ages of 50 to 80, I've been a hospice home care provider. 
because that's what I really love to do. He said, I just finished a book of 100 short stories. Tomorrow he's going to give me part of that book so I get to listen to it. Just finished a book of 100 short stories all about life. And I said to Bruce, I said, it sounds like you have had a great life. And Bruce looked me in the eye and he teared up. And he said to me, life is what you make of it, my friend. I think that's pretty beautiful. So why not ask these questions? Because we get one shot at this life. And life is what you make of it, my friend. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the freedom to be vulnerable, for the freedom to come to you with scary questions. Thank you that this is a safe community to ask some dangerous questions about calling and vocation and life and friendship and marriage and faith. Thank you, Jesus, that you in this world of 7 billion people see each one of us created us uniquely to reflect your image to the world in a unique way. Would you show us how to do that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.